0: Please would you open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We're continuing on in Luke's Gospel. How awesome is it to be up close and personal with Jesus? And um, Jesus is causing some waves in Luke 16. He's um, certainly got in the Pharisees' faces. Um, They loved money and Jesus called them out. Um, And we're continuing from verse 19 of chapter 16 in Luke's Gospel. Jesus tells a story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, five have five brothers. Let him warn them. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And then come with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about eternity um, and his mission as uh, someone who's proclaiming Christ. Verse 16, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. As God is making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
1: Awesome. Thanks for that, Darren. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Pete Chang. Uh, one of the pastors here uh, at the Lakes and yeah, I look after kids, youth uh, and young adults. So yeah, if that's of interest to you, then please come uh, chat to me about it. Hey, uh, about uh, uh, Joel and Aaron, uh just, just a personal reflection, it's been so great having them with us here uh, for the past two years uh, doing the MTS traineeship. Uh, yeah, it's been amazing seeing them grow, grow as just people, uh, but yeah, mature as uh, Christians, as, as children of God, and, and just to develop as ministry workers. So yeah, it is with a great joy that we send them off uh, to continue their training as uh, kind of gospel workers, send them off to um, yeah, Sydney, to Moore College. Uh, and, and the thing is, that that's a, that's a big kind of move uh, for them, uh, to, to kind of leave behind friends, family, uh, church, uh, ministries, uh, that, that's big for them. And, and I imagine, I mean, there's, there's lots of things, uh, reasons why they're going, but one of the big reasons why is that they believe in the realities uh, of heaven and hell uh, and, and they understand everyone needs to hear the gospel. Uh, we're going to be thinking about the idea uh, of heaven and hell uh, this morning. Um, so, yeah. But before we kind of get into the passage, uh, I just wanted to share with you a story uh, of a lady called Sylvia Bloom. Uh, so, Sylvia Bloom, she was a legal secretary uh, who worked for this big uh, law firm in the US. Get this, she worked in the same job for 68 years. That's, that's a long time to be working for and, and the same kind of workplace as well. Uh, she lived a simple and modest life, uh, so, so she was a child of the depression and so she knew what it was, uh, lo- what life was like to go without. Um, she was so uh, frugal that uh, a story emerged about her that on the, the day of 9-11, uh, so w- when the um, planes flew into the um, World Towers, uh, rather than forking out money on a taxi to, to kind of head back home when, when the whole city was in a state of panic, uh, she chose instead to, to catch a bus, you know, same as she'd always uh, done, uh, trying to patiently wait for the bus to take her home because she thought that catching a cab at that point would have been splurging and, and so that's Sylvia Bloom and so it was a massive shock to everyone when she passed away at the age of 96 uh, and it was time to break up her estate that over her lifetime she had accumulated 12 million dollars in wealth so friends and family just couldn't understand how this person who lived so simply could have had so much cash up their sleeve. So, apparently, she got um, her well just simply by following the kind of share purchases that her boss instructed her to do. You know, she figured, you know, if it was good enough for her bosses who, you know, are pretty successful to do to buy, um, then it must be a kind of good thing. So, she invested the small amounts of money that she had in those same shares, in those same companies and over time, those small investments Uh, totaled up to $12 million. So she was absolutely loaded, but no one else had a clue. You know, she could have lived anywhere that she wanted, but she chose to rent this small apartment and catch the bus to work every day, even on 9-11. She retired at the age of 96, so just a few months before her death. You know, she could have retired way earlier than that, kicked off her feet and just sport herself with a, a few luxuries. But no, she kept working even though she had more than enough money. You know, she appreciated the simple things in life. She experienced what it was like to have nothing and so the simple life that she built up for herself was more than enough. Now, some people might look at her story, her life and and consider her someone who's a bit tight or stingy, but she was far from that. You know, she, in her will, she left a little bit of money uh, to family and friends, but the majority of her $12 million, she left to a charity that seeks to help disadvantaged people head off to college. See, she was greatly aware of those who were less fortunate than her, and she wanted everyone to have a fair go at life. I mean, what, what an amazing woman Sylvia Bloom was. We, we kind of hear that story and we're inspired by it. But her story, it, it sits in such stark contrast um, to the rich man that we met uh, in Luke chapter 16. There, the rich man, he's anything but a Sylvia Bloom. But today, as we look at God's Word, there's three things that we're going to do. First, we're going to focus in on this parable that was just read, uh, the parable that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to unpack it a little and and just try and understand it a bit more for ourselves. Next, we're going to uh, consider the topic of hell and judgment, uh, because this passage does speak into those ideas. And then finally, we're just going to make some brief observations of what this all might mean for us and our lives. So firstly, let's dig into the parable itself. Uh, Yeah, please have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 16 uh, because we're going to focus on that for a decent chunk of time. So straight away in verse 19, we get introduced to the rich man Uh, and, and yeah, this rich man isn't like a Sylvia Bloom. So verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. You know, purple, of course, was, was the colour of royalty. Uh, in the ancient world, it was hard to produce a dye for the colour purple. Uh, and so, only the super rich could afford it. Um, the rich man, he, he clothes himself in purple, kind of signalling to everyone that he was rich and important and that he was everything. You know, and even that comment about his fine linen, that's kind of referring to his undergarments. The Bible is saying that this guy had nice undies. Now, back in my day, uh, the, all the cool kids, they used to there was, there was this period where yeah, everyone used to wear these baggy pants, like really baggy pants uh, and because they were so baggy, they'd kind of hang low uh, and most of the times it'd show the top of your undies and around that same time, Calvin Klein undies, right? Calvin Klein undies were top notch, uh, so maybe this man kind of wore Calvin Klein undies. So, no, not only was this man uber rich, he was loaded, but he made sure that everyone knew about it. He was a guy who would really flaunt it. You know, move aside guys, I'm here and I'm really special. You know, those big kind of gold necklaces that sometimes people have I'm I'm sure that he had one of those as well would have been bling central for him you know even that that little detail about him living in luxury every day it gives a sense that this guy who's not only loaded he's a guy that lived in excess each and every day so that's our rich man there and we're going to hear a little bit more about him later. So not only does the rich man sitting a stark contrast to a Sylvia Bloom but the description of his life couldn't be more different to the description of Lazarus that we're given in verses 20 and 21. So look at that verse 20 and 21 Luke chapter 16. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. See, Lazarus is destitute. Uh, he's, He's got nothing, he's a beggar, and he's totally reliant on others for his needs." Uh, He's covered in sores so that his life would have constantly been painful. He's starving and and just longs for even just the scraps that would fall from the rich man's table. He's desperate, but he's totally ignored by the rich man. Um, Even though he longs for these scraps, we're never told that he actually gets them. The, The scraps are probably given to the dogs. Um. Interestingly enough, dogs who seem to show Lazarus more compassion than the rich man ever did, at least they kind of recognise Lazarus' situation, that he's in pain and so they try to give him whatever relief they can. I mean, how twisted is that, right? That this rich man who had way more than enough is shown up for his lack of care and compassion By a pack of dogs. Such contrasting fortunes. The the rich man who lived in excess to the point of being wasteful, it seems, versus Lazarus who had nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, it's worth noting at this point uh, that within all of Jesus' parables, Lazarus is the only person that's so named uh, in all of his parables. Uh, and, yeah, it's also interesting that the, the name Lazarus itself, literally, it means God helps and, and so perhaps that's a bit of an insight into what fortune might become of Lazarus later on but we will see. Now, as the parable continues, we're told that uh, both Lazarus and the rich man, they die and so death becomes a bit of a leveller. Um, you know, whether you're rich or poor, popular, unpopular, all of us suffer the same fate and so it's no different between the rich man and Lazarus. Both die but after death, their fates are completely reverse. Lazarus, we're told, is at Abraham's side. Uh, you know, Abraham, of course, being the great father of God's people, Abraham, who was the inheritor of the great promises of God, Lazarus, the beggar, is at his side. Um, The picture that this ought to invoke for us is one of feasting, being at Abraham's side, cheerfully feasting on the blessings of the kingdom. So other parts of Scripture, they describe heaven as a banquet, So, feasting in the great banquet hall of God's table, what a joy and delight that is. And Lazarus is there. You know, over Christmas, I was able to catch up uh, with my family, uh, which is always a great joy. Now, if it wasn't kind of obvious to everyone, uh, I've got Chinese heritage uh, and something that Chinese love to do is eat. Um, and not just eat but to feast, right? So, this isn't an actual photo of Christmas dinner but, you know, it's pretty close. Um, Chinese always over-cater and so we had this amazing food for days. Um, Christmas dinner was amazing in itself but, yeah, it didn't end there. Um, There was leftover upon leftover upon leftover. You know, that's a picture of heaven Feasting, blessing, joy, and all of those things in abundance. And that is where Lazarus is. I mean, what a contrast, right? On earth, he had to beg for everything. In, in heaven, he's got everything, and he's got everything in abundance. Now, what of the rich man? Picked up verse 22. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. See, the rich man who had everything is now in torment. He's in agony. So much so that he wishes that Lazarus, the beggar that he had ignored all those years, that Lazarus might in some way provide some relief to him by kind of cooling the tip of his tongue with his finger. The man that had everything is now in pain and torment, desperate for even the smallest bit of relief from his terrible situation. But no relief would be forthcoming. Uh, Verse 25 and 26 give us Abraham's response to the rich man's request for relief. Uh, the rich man had his chance to consider others and to live for God, and that chance was when he lived on earth. Now that he had died and been cast into hell, it was all too late. A great chasm, a void, a barrier exists between heaven and hell so that no one can pass through from one to the other. Now, it's worth pointing out at this point that this story that Jesus tells, it is a parable. Um, Jesus uses the parable to describe eternal realities. So, what, what the parable is supposed to do is, it's designed to paint a picture for us um, of what heaven and hell is supposed to look like. It's not necessarily describing heaven and hell as it actually is. So, will hell have this kind of window peering into heaven, where people can kind of freely chat and converse with one another? I don't think so, because certainly from Jesus' other t- descriptions of hell, it doesn't give that sense. But what we can glean from this parable is that, firstly, heaven is going to be an amazing place, a great place of great feasting and blessing, whereas hell, on the other hand, is terrible. Uh, It's a constant torment, and the other thing is, both heaven and hell are permanent. You can't cross from one or the other. And so this rich man, after seemingly being resigned to the fact that his own fate was sealed, the the rich man then considers or remembers his family, he's got five brothers that are still alive, and he says, send Lazarus to them so that they might avoid the same fate as me. To which Abraham replies, "Nah, not going to happen. Well, actually, this is what he says. He says in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. To which the rich man responds again, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent." Uh, and once again, Abraham puts him in his place. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. I mean, what arrogance from the rich man, right, uh, supposing that he knows more about the things of God than Abraham himself, you know we can be a bit like that at times, can 't we? You know God, if only you would do this thing for me right now, then for sure I I would believe, I, I'd honour you, I'd live for you. God, if you could do this sign or miracle or special thing, then I'd be completely sold, I'd be convinced. God, if, if only, if only, if only. Is that not saying to God that we know better than Him? But God's message for us and for the rich man is that there is enough in the law and the prophets, in the Bible, where me, we might be able to come to know the riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. You know, and the, the rich man, he only had the Old Testament. How much more ought we, as people who have the full revelation of Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, how much more ought we believe in God and desire to know His will for us, and His wonderful grace towards us. You know, in the Bible, we have the full revelation of God to us, His people. So, have a look at what Luke 24 describes, uh, how that describes Jesus in relation to the rest of the Scriptures. Luke 24, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. You know, Jesus is saying that all of the Scriptures are about Him. All Scriptures point to Him and find their fulfillment in Him. God's Word is the way by which we come to know His will for our lives. In God's Word, we are given all that is needed for life and forgiveness and purpose. And it all centers on the man Jesus Christ. If we understand Christ, then we understand God's will for our lives. Now, it would be wrong of us to look at a passage like Luke 16 uh, and not think a little bit more into the topic of hell. You know, Jesus here is clearly wanting to warn others about the reality of hell. Um, In fact, He does that more so than any other character Uh, in the Bible, which is often a surprise to many people. You know, you can chase these down in your own time, if you like, but here's just a brief survey of what Jesus says about hell in other parts of the Bible. So, Matthew uh, chapter 25, uh, that's the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says that at the end of time, everyone is going to be separated into either one or two groups. Uh, One group to everlasting life and the other to everlasting punishment. Uh, Matthew 9 verse 48, uh, hell is described as an unquenchable fire and a place where worms devour and do not die out. Matthew 13 uh, speaks about hell as a place where there's going to be gnashing of teeth in, in trying to utter anguish and regret. Uh, other times, like in Matthew 10, uh, hell, hell is likened to Gehenna. So, Gehenna was the rubbish dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem where maggots kind of just abounded. You know, throughout the Bible and, and from, the words of, from the lips of Jesus himself, hell is described in such horrific and devastating ways. Yeah, you know, I've been a Christian for over 25 years now, and I still real and and feel uncomfortable at the descriptions of hell given in the Bible. That kind of place of eternal judgment and torment, it's almost unfathomable. And for that reason hell is a taboo. It's definitely a taboo in our society and our culture. But even within many churches, the topic of hell is either ignored or downplayed. You know, we, we know that hell is offensive and so we shy away from any talk about it. Or because it is so horrible, then we choose to kind of block it out and ignore it, just hoping it would go away. But Jesus doesn't shy away from warning us about hell, no matter how bad and terrible it actually is. Um, He warns us because it's true and real, yes, but more than that, He warns us and everyone else because it's escapable. And that's fantastic news for you and I. You know, that 2 Corinthians 5 passage that was read out earlier, it speaks to that very fact. It speaks about God's desire to reconcile us to Himself. You know, we were out of a relationship with God. More precisely, we were in a bad relationship with God. We were His enemies. We'd rejected Him. We were facing judgment for our sins. You could say that we were doomed for hell. But God sought us out. He desired a right relationship with us and he, re- and he achieved reconciliation with us through the death of His Son. So look at how verse 21 describes it. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It is through Jesus and His death and His blood that we are made right with God. He took the punishment for us so that we could be in a right relationship with Him. Jesus died so that we would escape the horrors of hell and that is the wonderful message of the gospel of grace. And so we too, like Lazarus, can enjoy the spoils of the great banquet that is heaven. Jesus Christ achieves all of that for us. That there is true riches and true blessing. All right, I just want to finish now by providing uh, a few reflections for for us and how this passage relates to our lives. So, firstly, to us who are Christians, uh, I've just got three things I want to share. So, number one, a warning a warning. So what is it that your assurance is in when it comes to the things of God? How are you using your wealth? What are the things that you're taking pride in? You know, sometimes things like status, wealth, family, our jobs, education, church association, sometimes those things blind us of the need for God's grace See, the rich man, he had this assumption that he deserved a place in heaven and he got a rude shock, didn't he? But it makes sense, doesn't it? You can't expect to ignore God your whole life and then somehow at the end, expect to be greeted with open arms. You can't expect to only look out for number one uh, your whole life and then somehow be graced with God's mercy all of us, whether rich or poor, need to recognise our poor spiritual state before God. You know, let us not take pride in any of the blessings of this life that God may give us, but let us fall at His feet in utter dependence. And let that position of dependence inform the way that we live out our whole lives, um, and that includes our attitude to and and what we do with our cash. All right, second, a challenge. Are we listening to God in His Word? So, the the reason why the rich man was in hell wasn't because he was rich. You know, we're told in the Scriptures that Abraham was a guy that was well off himself. The reason why the rich man was in hell was because he did not listen to the law and the prophets. Instead of listening to God, he lived life as he saw fit. But God's words are the words of eternal life. You know, how could we possibly ignore that? You know, Today is the perfect day to realign your life so that God's word is the central guiding principle. All right, thirdly, a comfort. Take comfort in the fact that heaven will be amazing, an eternal banquet in the presence of God. You know, God is on about reversal. Often in this life as Christians, we face ridicule and difficulties and challenge. But those things give way to blessing and riches when our Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. So rejoice in salvation, rejoice in forgiveness and long for that day when all things will be made right. Now, to those of us who are unsure or those of us who are not yet believers, uh, just two things. First is to listen. Please, please, please take heed of Jesus' words here regarding the seriousness of what happens when we die. I plead with you not to delay listening to him because this is your chance. You know, Lazarus realized too late of his need to turn back to God. This very moment is your chance to find forgiveness and mercy and life. Don't blow this opportunity. I mean, the seriousness and the weightiness of what happens to us after death ought to drive us to consider our position before God, right here, right now. And in a similar vein, can I implore you to turn to God. Turn to Jesus for forgiveness and life. He died for you so that you might escape hell turn to Him, trust in Him, believe in Him, and you will receive eternal life. But maybe you're not there just yet. I mean, what, I've I've had your attention for, what, 30 minutes? Um, I I don't presume to kind of convince you to put your faith in Jesus in that little amount of time. Uh, But yeah, maybe it has piqued an interest in Jesus for you. If that's the case, then come along to our life series. Uh, Life starts up at the end of January, uh, continues for five weeks, I'm pretty sure. Um, And over those five weeks, you're going to have the opportunity to explore life with Jesus. Come and explore for yourself Jesus' claims uh, about Himself. Uh, Come and ask as many questions as you like or just sit and listen along. And after those five weeks of life, then you'll be in a much, much better position to evaluate Jesus' claims on your life and where you sit with the whole thing. It really is a great series and it would be a fantastic thing for you to get along to. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your warning to us today about the eternal realities of the afterlife. Father, thanks that Jesus has borne our sins for us on the cross. Father, thank you that you love us and desire reconciliation with us. We are eternally grateful for Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, Help us to honour you with our whole lives. Enable us to keep listening to you and seeking your guidance on all areas of our lives. And we pray these things. Through our Saviour, Jesus. Amen.